you ever wonder why we're here? I'm not talking about like this general philosophical conversation of, you know, why we're here. I'm just talking about like as a church, like why we're here in this room this morning. Like why we do this thing called church, why we're a part of it. Like why did God create or make the church? Why did he bring us together? What's God doing in all of this? We are, we have started this new series that Dustin kicked off last week that we've called The In-Between, where we're reading through a letter that was written by a man named Peter, and this man named Peter was one of Jesus' closest followers. He had a front row seat to three years of following Jesus, of watching Jesus, of learning from Jesus, and even denying Jesus in his darkest moment, and then being restored to Jesus after he rose from the dead, and being used by the Holy Spirit to start this thing that we call the church. And he's writing this letter to a group, this really diverse group of Jesus followers who have been displaced from their homes, they're being persecuted, and they're kind of probably wondering why. Like, what's going on? And they have found themselves in this in-between place where they've said yes to following Jesus and this promise of the fact that he's going to return someday. And it's really where we still find ourselves this morning. Like we live in this in-between of what God has done for us through Jesus, through his death and his resurrection, where he has forgiven us of our sins. He has made an opportunity for us to be reconciled back into a relationship with him when we say yes to following him and this yet to come when he will return again and he will make everything right and we will live with him forever. And while our hope is in that promised future, that yet to come, we live our lives with him now. We live in this in-between, between the already done and the yet-between. And it's in this in-between that we know that God is both with us and God is for us in our struggle with sin in our conflicts with others, in our loss, in our hurt, in our sickness, and in our suffering. And Peter is writing to remind this persecuted group of people, and even us this morning, that Jesus is why we have been given a brand new identity in him. That when we say yes to following him, we are no longer defined by all of those things that we used to be defined by, by our mess and by our brokenness and by whatever you fill in the blank. But now we are identified as sons and daughters of him, of God himself. And when we choose to follow Jesus, he not only gives us this new identity, he also gives us this incredible purpose that we are to live out in this in-between, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. 
We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting with this verse 4, and the words will be on the screen. As you come to him, Peter writes, and him being Jesus, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Before we get into the text of what he's, the meat of what he's saying, it's really important to note that how he starts this. This word, you, is not an individual word. It is a collective. It's plural. He's talking to them as a group. And he starts by describing what Jesus, the living stone, has already experienced, that he has experienced rejection. And if you've ever read through, or if you're not familiar with, the first four books of the New Testament are biographies that were written by followers of Jesus that describe the events of his life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in those stories that you read about Jesus, over and over again, you see how he was rejected by others many times. In fact, even his own family and those that he grew up with rejected him. They didn't believe that he really was who he said he was. And the ultimate rejection that Jesus faced is a death on a Roman cross. But, but God, but in God and to God, Jesus was chosen. He was honored. He was precious. And just as Peter has called Jesus a living stone, he then refers to us as living stones. He says this, you yourselves like living stones. Why is this important? Really, there's a couple of reasons why this is so important. First, by calling us living stones, it reminds us of the fact that we have been brought, in Jesus, we have been brought from death to life, spiritual death to life. And because we've been brought to life, we are then able to begin to imitate or follow Jesus. And not just what Jesus said for us to do, which we should do, but we are becoming more like him. That is the work that God's Holy Spirit in us does. He produces, he makes us to be more like Jesus. But there's a second reason. He's also reminding them and he's reminding us that Jesus was rejected and so we too can expect to be rejected. When your friends or your family look down on you or make passive aggressive, passive aggressive comments about you or no longer spend time with you because of your decision to follow Jesus, maybe you can relate to that. Or when you read in the news or on social media how others mock or say negative things about Jesus through who follow, those who follow him. Or when you follow what the Spirit is prompting you to do by sharing your faith with somebody else, your story with somebody else, and the next day they're starting to treat you different. Know that it's okay that Jesus knows what that's like. More importantly, the one whose opinion of us matters most has chosen us, and he sees us as precious. In other words, when we know that God knows us, like really 
knows us. Like he knows everything about us, our sin, our mess, all of the stuff that we've ever done. And that he has chosen us (laughs) and that we are precious to him. Does it really matter what others think of us? It's how God sees us that matters the most. When we begin to know this and we actually begin to live this, then we are no longer offended by what others think of us, what others say about us, and what others do to us. We can freely share about the amazing things that God has done for us without the fear of the consequences of being rejected. But but Peter says there's more that God is doing in us. He goes on to say, we are being built up as a spiritual house. Being built up is passive. It's not something that we are doing. It's something that God is doing in us and to us and with us. It's God who brings us together. He's weaving us together into something that's bigger than ourselves, which leads us to what I think the first Thing that Peter's trying to get across here is that, that God builds us into his community. God builds us into his community. David writes in Psalm 127, 1, he says, unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in vain. And God is the builder of his church. He is the one who puts us together as his community. Paul actually uses the illustration of a body. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18, he says this, But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. So just like every part of our physical bodies has a role to play, every person in this body that God is weaving together has a part to play. One of our core values as a church is that Church is a team sport. And what we mean by that is everybody plays. Nobody sits on the sidelines. Everybody has a role to play. And we need to get into the understanding and the mindset that church isn't something that we go to, or church isn't something that is a structure, or church isn't something that, that we just, like, attend but church is a community of people who belong to, who, who, who um, uh, the church is a community of people we belong to and invest in. We are to love and support and encourage and pray for one another. We are God's family, adopted by him and growing together in him as brothers and sisters. We're dependent on him and we're dependent on one another. We are better together. It's one of the reasons that we encourage people to get into a smaller group, a smaller community of of Jesus followers. That's where growth happens. That's where we're challenged and encouraged to grow closer to him and to one another. It's where relationships are, are formed and we grow deeper. And it's clear from all of these things that Peter writes here that nobody is to go it alone. God's design and purpose for us is to be in community with one another. You see, our enemy, Satan, does a really good job of trying to keep us isolated. 
to get us alone, to make us think that we don't need the community. We don't need others in our lives. And unfortunately, we often isolate in those times when we need the community of the church the most when we're struggling in our sin, in our loss, in our disappointment, in our illness, in our depression, our anxiety, in our hurt. Those are the moments that we must fight that, ten- that tendency to want to isolate ourselves. It's in those hard times when we need the community of God the most. Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 and 10, 9 through 10 and 12, verse 12 says this, Two people together are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person fails, the other can reach out and help. But someone who fails alone is in real trouble. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. You see, God builds this community. He builds his community not just for the sake of hanging out with one another, but he builds it for a bigger reason. He goes on to say that the two things that he identifies is that we're to be a holy priesthood, and we're to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. So what does it look like for his community to become a holy priesthood? Well, the priests that we see in the Old Testament, their primary job, their role, what they did is they helped people connect with God. And so what Peter is saying here that as living stones, as part of this community that God is building, that's everyone's role is to help people connect with God. It isn't limited to people with a title, like pastor or reverend or priest. It's everyone's role, is to help people follow Jesus. And when we say yes to following Jesus, we become someone who helps others connect to God. Helping others connect with God isn't some sort of a weird or ritualistic or programmatic thing, but it's through our relationships with others. It's through our relationships as families, relationships as friends, relationships as co-workers, and our relationship first and foremost with God. It happens over time. It happens with intentionality. It happens through prayer and listening. It happens because of God working in us and God working through us, and we'll talk more specifics about this in a few minutes. But that's not where Peter stops, not just with this idea that we are to connect people to God, but he also says that we're supposed to offer sacrifices acceptable to God. How do we do this? I think the most important thing for us to understand in this is that the reason that our sacrifices are acceptable to God because Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice for us first. And this is important because if we don't get this order right, we will begin to see our sacrifices as a way for us to earn something from God or some way for us to become worthy of having God in our life. But it's only because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross that our sacrifice is acceptable to him. But Paul in Romans chapter, one, chapter 12 verse 1 says it this way. He says that we are to present our bodies 
as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And Paul then will spend chapters 12, 13, and 14 describing exactly what this living sacrifice looks like. And he talks about the fact that a living sacrifice serves others by using the giftedness that the Holy Spirit gives us in order to be able to help build up one another, encourage one another. We become a living sacrifice by loving others, even when people aren't lovable. We become a living sacrifice when we meet the physical and emotional needs of others. We become a living sacrifice when we show hospitality. That doesn't mean just offering uh, an opportunity for people who we are friends with to come over. Hospitality here means welcoming strangers into our homes. This living sacrifice means living under governmental authority because God is the one who places governments in, in their places. It means to live at peace with everyone as much as it depends on you. It means that leaving God, letting God handle when you've been hurt by others, that you don't seek to repay the evil that maybe have done to you. This living sacrifice is not something that we can do on our own, which is why Peter continues in verse 6. He says this, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. We've heard this before, right? Chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you to believe, but for those who don't believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. And here Peter uses three Old Testament passages that refer to Jesus, two that are found in Isaiah and one that is found in Psalms, describing him as the cornerstone. Now, we don't really have the significance of a cornerstone that they would have had then. Like, most cornerstones today are decorative. They have dates on them. Some of them contain items that are significant to that building. This building has a cornerstone that really doesn't do what a real cornerstone would have done then. The cornerstone had two functions. The first was this, that it was the very first stone that a builder would lay, and it was intended to hold the entire weight of whatever structure was being built on it. So if you were to remove that cornerstone, the entire structure would collapse. The second function of the cornerstone was however that builder would lay that cornerstone would determine what direction that building would face. So we see that Jesus is our cornerstone in the fact that he is the only one that we can build our lives on where he can sustain the weight of our lives. He can sustain the weight of our trust. He can sustain the weight of our hope and all of the different things that we face in life. And if we try to build on anything else, our lives are going to crumble. And it's not just what we face in life, it's about who he calls us to be and what he has called us to do. When we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, he reorients our life (laughs) and the way that we live. When we follow him, Jesus becomes our foundation. He becomes our cornerstone of who we are and all we do. And he determines the direction 
of our life. He does this for us, not just as individuals, but also collectively as this community that he's building, which leads us to the second thing that we see Peter sharing here. God builds his community on Jesus, the cornerstone. God builds this community, his community on Jesus, the cornerstone. Jesus is the only true foundation for God's church. It's why we try to make Jesus the focus of everything that we do. When we gather together on Sunday mornings, when we gather in groups during the week, when we serve, it's all about him. And if we aren't continuing to focus on him ourselves and pointing others to Jesus, who he is and what he's done, we're wasting our time. And worse, we're setting up our community for failure. There are too many examples of churches who have built on other foundations. They've built on the personality of their pastor. They've built on the gifts and the abilities and the, the talents of, of their, their, their leadership teams. They, they've been built on entertaining people or scratching the consumer itch that we ha- tend to have or on appeasing people. They've built on self-righteousness or achievement or success and all of these foundations will eventually cause that community to crumble and fail. And Peter says there are two choices. We can build our life, we can build his community on Jesus, or we can trip over Jesus. He will become our cornerstone, or Jesus will become our stumbling block. And Jesus is worth building our life on. Jesus is worth building this church on. And he's the only one who is worth building on. Peter continues, verse 9. But you, again, this is plural you, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. How cool is that? A people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter again reminds us of who we are. That we are God's community, that we are his community. We are chosen. We've been picked by God. We are royal. Like we are sons and daughters of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That we are holy. That we've been set apart by God for a particular purpose. And not because we deserve it, Not because we've earned it, not because we are somehow righteous, but because of what Jesus has done for us. God has radically changed our identity, that we are now a new race, that we are now a priesthood, that we are now a new nation. And most importantly, we are now His possession. But God doesn't stop there because of what God has done for us through Jesus. He is, and who he has made us in Jesus. Peter 
shares what I think is his third point, that God builds his community for a purpose. He builds this community for a purpose. And there, there is a purpose or cause that God gives each of us both individually and collectively as this community. He wants us to proclaim Jesus. He wants us to share with others who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Like that's our cause to make Jesus known that he's the only one who can transform the world. He's the only one who can bring about the change we all desire and that we all need. He's the only one who can restore things to the way that God originally designed them to be. He's it. We have to start, we have to continue, and we have to finish with Jesus. And this is about what we say and also what we do, our words and our actions. God's purpose for us, the cause he's called us to, is to tell others our story. More, probably more saying it better, it's really God's story of what he's doing and has done in our lives. Like, that's our purpose. And we're to share this with everyone, those we know, those we meet. It's not just about what we say, it's also about how we live. Because how we live reveals what we really believe. Did you catch that? How we live reveals what we really believe. Do others see the excellencies of God by the way we live our lives, how we treat others, what we value, what we do with the resources that God has entrusted to us? We also proclaim Jesus collectively as his community, not just as individuals, but as a group. We do this by making sure that our gatherings are always centered around Jesus, the message of the gospel, what he has done for us in what we sing and what we say. And it's not just about what we say. Our purpose or cause is to proclaim Jesus in what we do. It's why many of our home groups, and we have individuals who serve the communities in which we live through our community partners. It's why people serve the homeless through Providence Rescue Mission and through Help the Homeless RI, where they go out and serve meals to homeless individuals on the street. It's why we serve veterans through Operation Stand Down. It's why we serve our schools by mentoring students through Mentor Rhode Island. It's why we help others who are immigrating to a country where they don't speak the language and they've probably left some horrible circumstances and they're being relocated through Dorcas International. It's why we've taken one of our Sunday gatherings and said, you know what, we're not going to gather in a room, but we're going to go out into the community and we're going to serve our community as our act of worship. It's why we're doing an additional event this fall in order to serve our community on a Saturday as well. It's why we throw parties in the summertime and we take invitations around that are over there on the table. We take invitations around to our neighbors and we invite them to these parties to just have some fun with us. It's why, we, it's why we want to notice and welcome everyone who walks onto our campus. 
which takes a lot of courage to do. This is hard to walk into a place that you don't know anyone, a strange place. And let's be honest, we're just a group of strange people, right? Chief of that. To intentionally look for people who we don't yet know, to go out of our way and beyond our comfortable circles to introduce ourselves to somebody that we've not yet met, to set aside what we prefer and what we desire, to come expectantly for God to use us when we gather. Like not coming to anticipate to receive something, but what can we give to those who are around us? To pray for someone, to encourage someone, or even to share our story with somebody, something that God has done in our lives that past week. Or maybe we just need to simply be somebody who listens and be a friend. It's why we're offering programming on Sundays for kids and students and why we have this incredible, amazing team of volunteers who lovingly, willingly, and sacrificially spend time with our kids and our students to introduce them to Jesus and for them to grow in relationship with one another. It's why there's a team of women who are passionate about women connecting with one another and why they sacrificially spend time planning and putting together experiences for women to do together. It's why we want to start a men's ministry to connect men with one another so that we can do what the Bible talks about, that we can sharpen one another. We develop a relationship with him and with one another together. It's why we have an environment like Celebrate Recover where we can meet the needs where we can meet others in the midst of their hurts, their habits, and their hang-ups, and we can see God heal us as only God can. It's why we want to come alongside people who are going through divorce, who have been through divorce. It's why we want to come alongside people who are dealing with loss and grief through the Grief Share group that we're going to do this summer. It's why we have created a fund to help single parents. It's why we have a group who will leave in a few weeks and travel thousands of miles from home to serve with Missions of Hope International in Nairobi, Kenya, to serve kids and families who have some significant needs and to go partner with what God's already doing in Nairobi, Kenya. It's why we support Sojourn Collegiate Ministry, whose mission and, and focus is to help students who are far from God see Jesus maybe for the first time on campuses throughout Rhode Island. It's why we will continue to invite you and encourage you to be a part of this cause that God has called his community to do. There is no more important cause or purpose than to share with everyone the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into this marvelous light so that they too can become his people and know his mercy and experience his unconditional love. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have called us to this amazing purpose. Thank you that you have woven us together as your community. Thank you that you have built us on the person of Jesus and Father, we confess our complete and utter dependence on you and that you would just continue to work and move in us as only you can.
Would you continue to shape us as your church to be more like Jesus and to always have our eyes focused on others? And it's in his name we pray. Amen.